Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us today. I wanted to introduce you to Robert Rose, who is the Chief Strategy Advisor for the Content Marketing Institute. Robert has graciously accepted talking to me about content marketing today, and um, things have changed quite a bit, Robert, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, they have indeed. Even even in the last, um, you know, even in the last eighteen months, they've changed yet again, and it seems like every day brings some new fundamental sea change in the way that we're looking not only just at content, but you know, marketing more broadly. Definitely. Um, and just from my own personal experience, there are companies who are doing a really great job at it. And there are companies that are kind of doing an okay job. And then there are companies that, that still just don't get it at all. And, and so it's obviously a big struggle. And I think one of the one of the things that I wanted to kind of ask you about, and I read it in one of the papers that you had written on the business case for content, you know, the renewed business case for content marketing, was a statement that you made that said content marketing isn't a replacement for advertising or any other form of classic marketing. And I think that that's what a lot of companies or marketing people seem to think is maybe get rid of everything else and just do that. And that's going to make things work for them, but that's not right. Right. It's, it's not, it's, that's, uh, you know, it's, I mean, <laughs> as you would expect, I agree with that. Um, the thing is whether they view it as, um, a, you know, they look at it as a replacement for either direct marketing collateral materials. In other words, as a replacement for that catalog or for that brochure or for direct advertising, um, either saying to themselves, okay, this is what we're going to do instead of these other things, or just adding it to the pile and looking and measuring it like the other things. That's where most businesses that are getting into trouble are getting into trouble. Um, and it's because content marketing at its core, and you know, this is the, this is the dirty secret, if you will, Content is harder. It takes longer. It is a bigger investment and it's just more difficult to create high impact valuable content that is valuable in its own right than it is to create that catalog or that brochure or that direct advertisement. And so if, if we look at it purely as a replacement for one of those things or if we measure it in the same limited way that we measure those other things, well, then we're going to miss out and quite frankly, look at it as a much more inefficient way to gather a customer because quite frankly, it's just, it's, it is more difficult. It is just takes longer and it, and it takes um, more effort to actually put value into the content itself. So it has to then provide multiple lines of value. In other words, it has to provide more value than just a replacement for an ad or the replacement for a catalog. And that's the place to start, to say, okay, well, how do we then create a strategy where content helps us make all of these things more valuable rather than just a replacement for one of these things? Right. So are you saying that content marketing can feed these other tactics? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is, there are, you know, and that's truly when we look at the, you know, quote unquote secret measurement, you know, getting beyond sort of the vanity metrics of things like, uh, you know, clicks and views and followers and page uh, hits and all of the things that are typically seen as sort of, well, that's really the only way we can measure the efficacy of content because we can't draw a straight line from it to revenue. 
And that's where we see the struggle, you know, sort of in your segmentation of those who are succeeding, those who are doing okay, and those who are failing at it. Well, the ones that are succeeding at it, if you look at them in, you know, in varying degree, but in large part, what they're doing is they're saying, how does content marketing make our advertising more effective? Can we use the audience data we're gleaning to make, you know, a, a more effective media buy? Can we create a better lead, a more informed lead, a more engaged lead? In other words, truly looking at the difference um, at, at the highest level, the, the true value of content marketing is what value from a cost savings or from a, you know, larger revenue, um, which are the two major goals of a business, can we achieve through audiences that we don't achieve through other classic methods? In other words, can we create a better customer? Can we create a better lead? Can we create a more effective SEO strategy? Can we create a more effective advertising strategy? And looking at that gap, that's where the value or the quote unquote profit is from enabling something like content marketing is to say it makes us better. It makes us a better business. And ultimately, that's why I also say in that paper that content marketing is ultimately a business strategy that marketing people happen to perform. Right. So um, it's interesting. One of the things I was talking with one of my clients about one day, we were talking about my time applied to different activities, the content marketing and supporting account-based marketing programs with the sales crew. And I said, you know, I think that a lot of my time could be applied to the sales aspect of it. And he said, well, how would you have time to do the other stuff? But, and I said, but the other stuff feeds the account-based marketing, like the marketing program and the content marketing we write and we develop, all that content is what's going to help feed that account-based marketing program. It, you shouldn't be writing one type of content over here to do content marketing and maybe generate awareness and get people subscribing to your newsletter and then do another whole set of content to feed, you know, a sales program trying to get customers, right? That's, ex yeah, I mean, you've just made very elegantly the argument for having content marketing be a some, you know, again, in varying degree, depending on the size of your business, but some centralized part of your overall marketing and communications uh, strategy. Because that's the real key here is, is that, and it's, and it's quite frankly the muscle that has atrophied in most marketing and businesses these days that I find is what digital has wrought is this idea of the siloed marketing creation, uh, you know, strategy. In other words, you've got demand gen teams creating content over here. You've got sales creating content over here. You've got brand creating content here. You've got PR and comms creating content over here. And everybody's creating content for their own sliver of the buyer's journey, but nobody's really looking at it as how do we actually tell a cohesive story where we can reuse these things across different mechanisms of where we're trying to engage a customer or prospective customer. That's the real benefit of looking at content or content marketing as a centralized function in your business. You can just make it work a lot harder than it, than it typically does by sort of de-siloing and creating a more cohesive, centralized approach to this whole thing so that you're actually feeding all of those other parts of, of the business. That, I mean, that just makes sense. Whether you believe in content marketing or not, having a centralized function for this thing that you're creating more of than the product and service you put into the marketplace just makes business sense from a cost efficiency basis. Now we can start to debate, well, 
we can create more value, better leads, better, you know, sales efficiency, better informed customer experiences, you know, less churn, all the other benefits that we can have fun debating. But really, even if we only look at it as an efficiency basis for all this stuff that your business is creating, that makes the argument, as you just did, for a, at least looking at content as a centralized piece of what it is you do. Right. I, I, to me, that just makes, makes a lot of sense. And so it's what I talk about all the time when I do people kind of want to separate. And it's, it's funny that we talk so much about how we need to break down the silos in an organization to, just to do better customer experience, but we can't break down the silos within our departments to do, to run a department better. It's, it's kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, it's one of those things where we look at, you know, I mean, it's a kind of a classic joke with agencies and, and consultants out there that, you know, the first thing that a client will tell you is why they're so unique, Right oh, we're different than anybody you've ever met. Our business is different than anybody you've ever met. And of course, then they tell you their problems and they're not. They're not any different than, than, than the other company that you met last week or the company that you met two months ago. We're all facing generally the same challenges. Not, there are unique attributes to businesses for sure, but for the most part, we're all struggling with the same stuff. That mentality tends to take its own form within the business too, where sales says, oh, we have unique, you know, we have unique needs in our account-based marketing that brand doesn't understand. Or brand says, no, 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 this customer service and those people, they don't understand what we really do here in brand. And so that sets up this mentality of we're special and have special needs. Thus, we need special content creation strategies. We need special persona development strategies. We need our own agency. We need our own technology. We need our own. And all of these things, once you start to intellectually bring it out, people go, yeah, they nod their heads and go, yeah, you're right. We should actually merge those things. But then we quickly devolve back into our sort of old habits of saying, yeah, but they don't really get us. And it's just easier to maintain our silo and sort of do our own thing because it's the way, you know, shit gets done, quite frankly, rather than the way that we have to, the harder thing, which is to actually go, let's collaborate. Let's move together. Let's de-silo the organization so that we can create a consistent, holistic, central, you know, marketing and communication strategy. So, um, so the, I think my question with that would be, so does that, in a way that makes it sound like the bigger the organization, the harder the challenge is to do it right. Yet the ones that are succeeding at content marketing really well, or the bigger ones that are the bigger ones I've heard of, like the Red Bulls and the GEs, they are huge companies and they figured it out. Well, they have their own struggles, right? I mean, you know, so, I mean, the, 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 there is a pro and a con. So, yes, generally speaking, what we find is that the larger the organization, the harder it is to make this transformation only because there's more to unwind, right? Startup companies and smaller organizations typically have much less politics much less deepened culture and legacy processes to unwind. Thus, it's easier for them to pivot into something new and integrated such as this, such as content marketing. And the older organizations have that challenge. Now, the, 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 the flip side of that is the older, more legacy, bigger, global organizations typically have more money to throw at this. They can actually do more interesting things should they want to because they've got more bandwidth resources and, and dough 
to actually spend at this. And so what you'll see is that the smaller organizations really struggle with scale. In other words, they struggle with the idea of how do I actually take my one or two people that I've got doing everything and actually do something meaningful that actually grows and is, you know, I've got limited resources, so I've got to make everything count. So how do I actually balance that? And the larger organizations you'll see are working typically excellence in pockets. So GE is a great example of this, right? Where GE at the brand level, at the global brand level is doing amazing work. You know, GE reports and some of the things that they're doing on social with Instagram and they're experimental with documentary films and those kinds of things are truly industry leading case study stuff that you see at conferences all the time. Go down and talk to the rank and file practitioners at the business units and they're still struggling. They're still struggling with making the business case for content marketing, doing lead generation, doing all the things that other businesses. So it's, there's this pro and con and sort of balance that happens at both ends of the spectrum. And each, everybody has their own, it's that wonderful, I can't remember who said it, but it's that wonderful sort of, you know, everybody you meet has their own challenges that they're facing. So, you know, be kind to everyone. It's, it's that kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you can't do something at the level of like what Red Bull does, is there kind of a, for a mid-sized company or some, you know, what is kind of a halfway approach that can kind of still give gen, help generate the same level of an audience? Yeah, my, my advice to anyone, and I get that question a lot, hmm. and my advice is, Look at your portfolio of investments, you know, truly take, you know, as a marketing manager or a leader in your marketing group, or quite frankly, as a disruptor agent of change to your marketing leadership, ask ourselves honestly, where, how is our portfolio of investment in the marketing thing, you know, allocated? How, you know, how much are we investing in a long-term investment um, toward building an audience, building, being the trusted source of interesting things for our customers. Because some, there is, there is very little debate for at least some allocation of our investment being in that. Because, you know, you, you mentioned it at the, at the top of the show where we're looking at an environment where, you know, social media is changing and paid media is changing and everything is changing and becoming more complex and looking at the efficacy of advertising, looking at the efficacy of PR, rising through the noise, looking at social media, Facebook, privacy, GDPR, all of these sort of external pressures that are changing the way that we invest in marketing and communications and engaging customers. It just makes sense to have some part of our allocated investment be in building a connection with an audience. And, you know, we could talk for another hour about the reasons for that, but let's assume that we buy into that investment model for just a moment. Then it's a question of how much of our investment time, right? So it's not uncommon for me to talk with someone who says, look, I'm a marketing person. I'm a marketing team of one or two people. How do we allocate our time and build something that's worth doing? Just finding some element of time. I worked with a mid-sized company just um, a couple of months ago where they said, look, we want to do this. And we're just going to make a commitment. We're going to make a commitment to 13%. And I love that number because it was so specific. We're going to make a commitment to 13% of our time is going to be spent to building great content on a platform and building an audience over time, a thought leadership platform. Wonderful. 
Now, all of the other demands that go beyond that 87% of their bandwidth, the request for brochures, the request for one sheets, the emails, et cetera, that come from the rest of the organization, we're still doing that. But the 13%, once we get to that level, we then say, listen, you can wait or you can actually go to an agency and we've got these wonderful agencies who you can pay for that you know, element from, but we're focused here on building this. And then what happened was six months later, that marketing leader went to his CEO and said, it's been working, we can show some traction. Now we wanna take it from 13 to 19% and then ultimately to 24%. And now currently they're at about 30% of their time spent toward building trusted things that their customers are interested in and the rest of the time is built, built, you know, so it's just a shift over time of how much of your portfolio of a marketing investment is in a long-term investment versus what you're doing in day trading. Okay. So when it comes to the content itself, I know, I know the, the idea is quality over quantity. And, but I think people are still a little obsessed with their quantity and they're a little lacking in their quality. As, as a content marketer myself, I follow tons of blogs and vendors, you know, who, and I read way too many books, I think, but they all, I feel like they all say the same thing. And so I, I know that you talk about finding that content tilt, but I, I think that maybe that must be a bigger struggle for companies than, um, than maybe it should be, I guess, but it just feels like there's way too much of the same content and there is too much noise. And how do you develop that quality content and find that tilt, find that unique niche without then all of a sudden just only talking about that and then you're, you're kind of stuck in that model, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it, look, it's an ongoing struggle for everyone. Um, and it's an ongoing struggle for media companies, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, Paramount and Warner Brothers every single year struggle with, well, how many tentpole pieces, how many feature films should we put out this year that are $100 million or 200 or $500 million of investment? Those are, those are decisions that are made every single year by every single company now that produces content. And so it is a, it is a hard thing. You know, we, at, at CMI, we struggle with it. We've, we've gone back and forth and tried to figure out, are we producing too much? And truly, this is an audience specific. So, the, you know, what is, how much is too much, right, on the, quality, or in the quantity side? And then what is quality? right? Those are the two major things that are subjective in, in, in either of those arguments. And so on the quantity side, my, my, my goal is, my, always my goal, and this is what I tell clients, it's what I tell our own folks when, when asked, is our goal should not be to produce more. Our goal should be to move an audience to and change a behavior and impact that audience in the way we want them to be impacted with as few bits of content as we can create. That's our goal. Because every time we create a piece of content, it's a cost for us. And so if we can do it with less, we should do it with less. If we, can do, if we need to produce more to create that impact, we should create more. It's finding that balance. And that balance isn't static in time. It changes with the wind, quite frankly. And so we need to constantly be in, interacting with our audience to say, are we producing too much? Are we producing value? Do we, are we continuing to engage you? That's truly what acting or being like a media company is all about. On the quality side, it's all about what is the ultimate goal? This is where we really struggle as marketers because we don't understand our ultimate goal 
you know, as I've, I've written about before, when you ask it, it, when you ask what quality means, it depends on who you ask. You know, if I ask an auteur director, what is a high, highly quality piece of content? Well, they're going to say it's a beautiful art form that transcends, you know, life and illuminates a greater truth and the critics love it. That's the auteur. If I ask a producer, what a great piece of quality content is, they're going to say that which puts butts in the seat, which drives box office. If I ask, you know, a writer of an educator or a teacher what a high quality piece of content is, is that which educates someone to learn a skill that they didn't know before. So truly we have to understand first and foremost, what is the impact we are trying to make for both us and the business? then we can start to measure the quality based on the impact we're creating, not on how many widgets we're producing out of the content factory each and every month. And it's amazing to me how many strategies are formulated and foundationally based on quantity. In other words, I say, what's the content marketing strategy? And they'll say, well, it's to produce, you know, 12 white papers this year. And I say, why 12? And they say, well, because there's 12 months in a year. How many blog posts? Well, you know, we're doing four per month. Why? Well, because there's four weeks in a month, silly. And then I say, well, what about those months that have five weeks? And I go, well, we go dark that month. So <laughs> we have to get out of this idea of content factory and widget building and instead focus our efforts and measurability on the impact we're creating, which answers the quality versus quantity question. But it's still, consistency is still a key thing though, right? Consistency is everything, right? That's yeah. the key is, is to, to deliver consistency, consistency so that your audience wants and depends upon it, right? That's, that's the thing. You know, we all have that one or two or three, you know, my wife has like seven newsletters that, you know, basically make the cut, right? My colleague Joe says this really well when he says, listen, all of us go through our email inbox every single day and go delete, 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 delete. Yeah. But there are two or three, or in my wife's case, seven email newsletters that you go, yep, leave that unread because I'm going to come back to it later because I get it every week or I get it every week or whatever the consistency is. And it becomes the appointment. I'm, I'm looking forward to that in my inbox. That is the brass ring that we want for our newsletter or for our website or for our webinar program or for our video program, whatever it is. We want people to know and anticipate that it's going to be there every Monday and so that we, you know, it becomes appointment television or appointment, you know, content. I could talk to you forever, Robert. <laughs> I get way too many ideas when you start talking. I get way too many ideas about how I want to do anything. But we're going to leave that for there for today. Um, I really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure, Barb. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks.